0: Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host Lisa Stone. June is prime recruiting season for college tennis coaches, whether they are Division 1, Division 2, II, Division 3, NAIA, um, Juco, the college coaches are out there watching top juniors locally and around the country as well as around the world. In fact, while the French Open was going on, I got notice of several top college coaches over in France watching the junior event and, I'm sure, taking copious notes on who they want to get for their programs in the upcoming seasons. So I thought this would be a great time to really expand the conversation about college recruiting, and focus a little bit on Division 3. For those of you who've been following along Parenting Aces, you know my own child went Division 1, and it was all he ever wanted and really all he considered during the recruiting process. But as I've come to learn more about the other divisions out there, I have become a big fan of Division Three tennis for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is the balance that these programs seem to have between academics and competition and training. So I'm really thrilled to have Coach Matt Brazzotti with us this week. Matt is both the men's and the women's coach at Hamilton College in New York. It's part of the NESCAC Conference, which is one of the top conferences in Division three, and he offers some great insights on what it means to play at the Division three level, what goes on during the recruiting process at Division three, and answers some questions about how we can fund a D3 education and college tennis experience for our kids. So relax, enjoy, and I hope you learn as much as I did from my conversation with Matt Brazzotti. Matt Brazzotti, thanks so much for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast.
1: And thank you so much for having me.
0: So I spoke about in the intro the fact that we are going to be focused on D3 tennis in this week's episode. Before we jump into your experience at the D3 level, I would love for you to give our listeners a little bit of your background in tennis.
1: Absolutely. You know, Lisa, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. You know, really looking forward to helping you to educate uh, junior coaches, parents, junior players. um, And I even know from myself uh, you know, even as a college coach, I really get a lot of information by different outlets that are out there and i am definitely a big fan of parenting Aces and exactly what they 're trying to do for the tennis community um, but kind of a little more background on myself um, I grew up on long island um, where and the part of uh, Long Island, where maybe tennis wasn 't the biggest hotbed um, it was kind of out there on the uh, um, all the way out there on the east coast on the uh on the north side of the island as well, uh, where the access to uh, play in the wintertime wasn't always uh, there. And I really started to pick up the game because I had an older brother um, who's a couple years older than me. He, he picked up the sport, um, and being the younger brother, I figured whatever he wanted to do, I wanted to do, but also uh, I think also in the back of my mind, try to be able, also be able to beat him as well uh, as, the, <laughs> as, uh, as time went along. Um, So I really played uh, two sports growing up um, that I focused a lot of energy on, and that was uh, soccer and tennis. Um, And I was definitely playing soccer at a younger age uh, just because of the access that was out there for juniors. Um, But when I was right around eight or nine years old, uh, I kind of picked up the tennis racket, um, and it was just a totally different experience. Um, I was out there. Uh, learning a little more about myself every single time I went out there and played um and it kind of morphed into a really nice junior career for myself uh where I had really good support on the home front from my uh from my parents and, and you know and also other families and uh you know family members as well that came out to to support me um and that was really great um to be honest my uh parents um didn't know a whole lot about tennis. They were very casual into tennis. They didn't really know too much about it. So they said, you like doing this? And I said, yes. And we just kept doing it. Um, And then I feel like if we had to have different conversations on why maybe uh, I wasn't liking it, I would maybe not have played. So uh, they weren't overbearing at all. Uh, In my junior development uh, process, they were just like, these are the opportunities that are afforded to us that we're able to do. Um, you know, and if we want to do them, we'll support you. Um, but we, we don't really know too much about tennis, uh, but, you know, we're definitely going to support you on whatever you want to do. Um, and then by the time I was a junior in high school, um, I started doing some different events and more tournaments as well um, for, for myself to try to be able to get seen because uh, I kind of knew I was definitely going to go the, the Division three route uh, for sure. Um, I had a couple... I had one friend of mine who actually went on to play Division one um, and he you know who's a great player uh, he had a lot of success there um, and even I had one of my um, people that I played with in the juniors they actually went off to a Division one institution and then actually wound up uh, finishing their their career on the division three level, so I saw a little bit of that, and I was definitely excited about. The opportunity to be a you know a student athlete on, on the Division three level. Um, so I went to Drew University in Madison, New Jersey. Played Division three tennis there for all four years. Um, we we had a very successful team. We uh, we won the conference all all four years I was there. And we made it to the NCAA tournament um, uh, for three out of the four years as well. Um, and that was a really great experience to really be able to play the highest level of Division III tennis out there. Um, I think it was great to be able to play a lot of regional play, but also we had really great experiences from what the Division III uh, college tennis experience can offer a lot of student-athletes. I had members of my team that went abroad um, for for a whole semester, and I had uh, members of the team that didn't do that, and they kind of just did – different things on campus and really stayed active and involved in the campus community life. And I think the balance uh, something that I, I really talk to my players about and student athletes about is just the balance and the way you want to approach a Division three institution and also your experience, I think, is something that I can definitely draw a direct connection with to them and, and make it very relatable for them to understand that you can really do it all at a Division three institution. Um, and it's just kind of finding those great opportunities for for yourself, um, And then kind of backtrack a little bit. I, upon graduation, I went right into kind of the private sector of tennis, working as a, uh, a teaching pro. I knew I definitely didn't want to sit at a desk all day and uh, do a whole lot of paperwork. Um, but I really wanted to be out there and work with junior development, junior kids, and also Um, adult tennis as well. Um, And shortly after I graduated, I had the opportunity to coach at my alma mater, um, and that was a really great experience. I took over for uh, my coach at the time, um, and it was a really great learning experience. It was um, kind of dumped in the deep end of of a pool and just kind of keep swimming, and the faster you swim, you know, the easier it's going to be to get out of the water. Um, And that was really great as a young coach uh, to be able to actually coach players that I was teammates with. Um and that was really, really interesting and a very good part of the maturation process for myself as a as a coach was was to be able to go through that. I think it was a very good learning experience. Um and also also really learned great values of respect communication and seeing things through a different lens. As, as you're a young coach, about twenty two years old, uh really uh, 22, 23 years old, uh, being able to take ownership of a men's and women's tennis program and really see them excel and realize how much as a coach you really value what they're doing outside of the classroom. I think sometimes coaches see it uh, through through a tennis lens, but I think being able to be a student athlete and then closely going into a coaching role, you really appreciate the time that they give you as as a student athlete because they are getting pulled in a lot of directions. And I think being at a division three institution, you really learn to respect and appreciate the time that the student-athletes give you.
0: Let me just ask you, because I know you mentioned that you coach both the men and women at Drew, and I think that's a pretty common scenario uh, at a lot of D3 schools where the the one coach is in charge of both programs. And coming from college tennis yourself, obviously playing on a men's team, what was the biggest challenge for you in coaching the women?
1: I think the biggest challenge initially um, was trying to understand that it is a little bit of a different game um, and maybe things that you wanted to do right away as a coach, um, you really had to listen to feedback on. um, And I think you really have to listen to what uh, kind of the the heartbeat and temperature of the room is that I call it um, and just really listen to um, things that they feel that are very successful. Um, I think you always try to implement what you want to be able to do as a coach and different areas that you feel that you can attack or how to counter things, but um, overall, from from the beginning, I really tried to be a good listener for, for my student-athletes, and I think when you're able to listen, I think then they really care about how much you appreciate them, um, and then I think that from there, trust is being able to be built, and I think when you have trust with your student-athletes, I think, and they really respect how much you care. I think then that really starts uh, creating a very good relationship with them, to be able to help them succeed, um, you know, on and off the court. So I definitely think in the beginning it was a lot of listening, um, kind of shutting the mouth a little bit, which is sometimes tough. Um, maybe when you're a younger coach and it's your first thing, you really want to try to say a lot to maybe um, impress them on knowledge. When really all you have to do is maybe just sit back, listen, take the information that's given, and then and be able to spit out kind of the best information possible where you're taking their side. And also you're trying to, you know, throw your flavor on things as well.
0: Right. Interesting. So you moved from Drew over to Hamilton, which is in New York. Is it close to where you grew up or?
1: Um, It was it's not actually um, it's actually kind of far (laughs) from where I grew up on Long Island. Um, But I was actually given the opportunity to come here starting in January, um, and it was just an opportunity that um, just the caliber of student-athletes that you're able to work with, um, it's just a different um, environment that you're able to be in academically and also athletically um, and competing in the conference that we are able to compete in, which is the NESCAT conference, which um, has schools such as Bowdoin, Williams, Amherst, um, Middlebury, just to name a few, um, you're you're also able to test how good you can be um, as a as a coach and also as a as a leader and a and an educator on really where you can take a program and what what better opportunity to, than to be in um, well, what what I consider which is probably debated um, you know argu- at least arguably the uh, you know toughest Division three tennis conference in the country.
0: Mm-hmm. What? How important is conference in D three?
1: I think it definitely depends on what you're looking for. Um I think that there's a lot of great conferences out there. You see it all the time that there's really great schools that are in conferences. Um and you know, maybe it's not the toughest conference year in and year out, but I think um all the schools all have the same goals. So, you know, no one likes finishing last. Doesn't matter if you're in the um you know, up, you know, in the upper echelon of division three or if you're in the mid tier to lower level of division three. Um I think a lot of coaches have really good values, um, and I think that, you know, when you're able to develop those things, I, I think every conference turns very competitive, um, and there's a lot of different kind of conferences, but, um, you know, I think that it's all about the values. I think they're all placed in conferences for especially on the vision three level, uh, I definitely think a little bit, definitely uh, a lot of it is probably actually geographically, um, but also just their academic values and what they value um, and what the university presidents or college presidents look at as to be their main values when it turns uh, into respects of athletics and academics. um, And they're really able to form alliances with, um, with new, uh, you know, with other institutions out there. Um, When I, First started at Drew University, um, we competed in the Landmark Conference, and it was a brand new conference. Um, It was third year in when I first got there, so we weren't actually um, NCAA tournament eligible right away because we were a new conference. We kind of had to prove ourselves, and that was a really cool experience going through that, um, knowing that we are new, but the reason why the conference was, was put together was because of the alignment that they had with academic values for sure. And like, that was definitely one of the things that drew me to being a play in such a conference like that as well.
0: So in division one tennis, we know they're the power five conferences and then there's everybody else. Is there some kind of similar makeup in D3 in terms of certain conferences dominating and then everybody else just kind of along for the ride?
1: I wouldn't say that there is that big of a divide because there are really good institutions uh, that maybe don't play in. Uh, if you look at the, at the ITA or the NCAA rankings uh, for the teams, you do see a lot of, uh, you know, you, you definitely see your fair share of NESCAC institutions as well as UAA institutions as well as the SEAC conference out, out on the West Coast, um, just to name a few, but um, you definitely see traditional powers um, that have, you just look through a lot of the rankings um, and maybe they're not in one of those big time conferences, but um, I think you do have a couple conferences that are a little stronger um, top to bottom. If they did a conference to conference challenge, uh, which was, which we, you know, we can't do, but, uh, but, but I actually think it'd be really cool to be able to play, uh, you know, a couple systems like that. But um, you definitely see a couple conferences that are uh, just Overall, they maybe stronger top to bottom, but there are so many good schools out there that really have great tennis programs, great leaders as coaches, you know, that are leading those institutions that maybe aren't in all the same conferences. But you definitely get a little bit of parity with the conferences and some strengths, but I would say, you know, a little bit there, but also you do have some great institutions that, that are definitely historical tennis powers that, um, you know, really do a great job of year in, year out, despite maybe playing in a weaker conference being right there in the sweet 16 of the, of the NCAA tournament or the elite eight or the final four kind of year in and year out. You can kind of always pencil them in. Got it. Is there a such thing as mid-major schools in D3? Uh, there's nothing. no such thing as mid-major schools um, because I think a lot of times when they're talking about mid-major conferences in NCAA division one, I, I think they're talking about um, opportunity for funding, um, for, for what they can do for the athletic program, and I think those mid those traditional mid majors are kind of capped out a little bit, in my opinion, on how much they're able to spend. Or if they were to spend the amount that a power five school would, it would take up their entire budget for maybe uh, all their athletic programs, as of just funneling their effort towards one. Uh, you know, instead of looking out for all the schools. Um, but but division three is great because you don't have that um, in division three. I think everyone's on a level playing field, so it doesn't matter if you're division three school in I don't know in um, in Texas, uh, you know, or if you're a Division three school up in Maine, uh, you have the same opportunity because there's no funding for your players. So you, as long you know, I think the like the big thing is getting them there, obviously on the recruiting end, and then developing them once they are student athletes on your campus. But it's kind of nice that you know you're not feeling like you have to go if you're. If your school only has two scholarships, you're playing against an eight scholarship school. You know, I think that's a little bit of a difference there on the kind of student you can of, of the student athlete you can get. It's all very on a level playing field for for Division three because there is no funding. So it's kind of every single year, anything can happen as well, which 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 I really like and, and it's the beauty of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about recruiting in Division three and what that looks like. I, I've done so many podcasts and written so many articles about Division One college recruiting over the years. And my listeners know I'm a recent convert to D3. I am on the bandwagon. I am the biggest cheerleader for D3 right now. I think it is a phenomenal way for young student athletes to experience college and tennis simultaneously and get the most out of both those things without having to make a whole lot of compromises on either end and you know I think it's it's just a phenomenal phenomenal opportunity but the recruiting is different because as you said there are no scholarships for tennis at D3 or any sport for that matter the scholarship money exists at the academic level or at the need level, rather than the athletics level.
1: Absolutely, you know, and that definitely changes a little bit of the ball game that you're working with. Um, I think the biggest thing, I guess, I guess one of the there's, I, th- I definitely think there's two big myths about Division three tennis. Uh, one, if you go Division three, you're not playing at the same level as. A lot of the as a lot of the Division One schools, um, I would definitely argue, and I think you can use definitely a lot of different tools out there, um, such as UTR tennis recruiting, um, and you can you can see that just by the types of students that are going to these institutions, that there's a really good parallel between the two. Um, and just because it's labeled Division Three, doesn't mean that their tennis level is not um, good, or it's just a walk-on, or it's a glorified club. Um, I would definitely uh, would love to argue anyone who would say differently. I, I think that would uh, be a really great conversation to have. Um, and actually, sometimes I, I believe that Division three student-athletes, because they do have the opportunity for a lot more uh, extracurriculars outside of the tennis court or in the weight room or, or, or wherever they're working on for their sport, they're probably putting in more effort, uh, to be honest, to make sure it's really concentrated that they can do it. Um, so sometimes it is a really big commitment as well, um, and then the other myth uh, that I think is just because there's no scholarships doesn't mean that there's no funding. Um, there's no there's no opportunity for financial assistance. Uh, I think a lot of uh, a lot of universities and colleges they offer, and you can just look this up on their on their um, admissions page under financial aid and scholarships. They'll tell you pretty much exactly what they can offer. Um, and every institution is very different from one another, um, you know, on, on what they can offer. Um, and types of aid that they can give out. Um, so it's it's super important that, you know, parents and not only parents, but for parents listening out there, put the onus on, on your child to be able to go to these schools' pages and write down a list or create some type of document that can be shared with other family members of the schools that you're interested. In and if and if finances are definitely a big part of the decision um, of, of where your child might go, make sure that they're 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 able to write down and understand the costs and also different ways to be able to get price price down. If mm-hmm. you know if price is definitely going to be a determining factor within schools. Um, so those are kind of the two biggest myths out there for Division three for sure. Um, but as far as on a recruiting end, I think it definitely is a little bit different um, because you can. I I just think the funnel and the the range of students that you're looking at is a lot different than maybe a, a Division One level um, or a Division One institution because I think that you never know, kind of maybe sometimes who can walk through your door, or all of a sudden, just show up on campus. So I think it's very important for for junior players to try to be able to do tournaments. Um, I definitely think that's a really good barrier for things and really good marker to put yourself up against good good competition as well but also finding different showcases or camps um, as well to be able to help increase your access to coaches. I think it's, I, th- you know, in, in my experience, I, I will go to a lot of local USTA tournaments and I'd be the only college coach there, um, be the only one. It was kind of nice at the same time, um, but also it doesn't really help increase that kid's exposure or, or your child's exposure to many different college coaches. I think uh, showcases and camps where you're able to, Um, be around coaches and see coaches. You just look at some of the numbers that, um, you know, different types of events can bring in of number of coaches. Where else are you going to get a a pool of 65, 70 coaches at at one place for tennis? It might happen in other sports such as basketball. Um, I I, I talk to a lot of different coaches about their recruiting tactics, and they're like, I I go out to a place or I go to a random game, and if, if there's a player that's very talented, you see six, seven coaches there for tennis. I, I don't think it's the same. Maybe it's maybe it has to do with budgets or something like that that the um, coaches aren't able to do. Or sometimes, you know, it's a one man, or it's a one coach operation where there's only one coach trying to do multiple teams, and there's only so many hours in a day. Um, so they might not be able to go to all the events that they would like. But I definitely think. For Division three recruiting, I think it's important that you get your your child um, exposure to these events. Um, I think there's a lot of them that are coming through. I think when I I know as a as I was in a junior uh, phase, there was only maybe one or two events out there um, that are still going, such as um, you know Tim Donovan, what he does with showcases, as well as uh, what Ed Crass is able to do. Um, you know, with his college tennis academy. Those are really the two players in the beginning, and now you see a lot of other events starting up because I think it is very important to be able to have your your child exposed to coaches and other levels of different players out there. Um, so that way maybe they understand a little bit more. If I was thinking, oh, I just want to play Division One, I. I just want to play Division One, you, you, you kind of put yourself in that environment of other like-minded people who want to go play you know play college tennis and be a student athlete as well and you can see how similar they are and also how maybe you can step up your game a little bit to try to kind of uh stand out and uh you know stand out in front of a crowd a little bit more it's a little bit sometimes it's a little bit intimidating for student athletes but and especially junior players when you're talking about them being 15, and seventeen years old I think sometimes that is intimidating, but um I think what they'll quickly realize is that it's a very nice community that college coaches really try to create for, for junior players because you want them to feel comfortable. We want them to be able to show who they are as a person. I think that's always a big thing, especially on division three level. You're able to spend a lot of time with the student athletes. um, And you really want to make sure that you're always bringing in quality people that could be a really nice addition, not only to your team on the court, but also what are they going to be off the court as well? You know, Mm -hmm. what you're trying to build a team culture. Um, So I think, uh, the division three recruiting process through tournaments, but also different showcases in camps. It really does a really nice job to be able to give opportunities. And that's all we can do is just try to give opportunities for, for parents to have their children be able to have this opportunity to be able to go play in front of coaches. Cause nothing beats when you're able to meet a coach and talk to a coach and talk to them about their program. You're able to get excited about it. Um, Nothing else replaces that. All websites kind of look a little similar at the end of the day, so it's a matter right. of trying to be able to put your, you know, put your front foot out there and try to say, "Hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm looking for." You know, I'd love the opportunity to talk to you about your program in school.
0: Well, and full disclosure, you do some work with Tarek Merchant, and I'm recruitable in the collegiate exposure camps there. Um, so I just want to make sure my listeners know that. Besides those camps, the Collegiate Exposure Camps and Donovan and Crass, are there others that you go to or that you you know that your colleagues go to and have good success in terms of meeting the the right players, and I'm, I'm using air quotes, um, for their programs?
1: Yeah. Um, I also have the opportunity to work uh, – Ed Crass' camp uh, that he does as well. Um, And that's kind of funny being a uh, a former camper to now one of the coaches there. So it's been a really nice full circle experience being able to work with him and his staff. Um, But also you do have Donovan. You also have what the USTA is doing down in Florida as well um, at the National Training Center. Um, There's also something out there with the uh, John McEnroe Academy that I've been to as well um, out there on Randall's Island that they continue to do. so, a lot of how to find things is through other coaches um, because they're really great resources. Um, but also, just kind of trying to put in the work. You know, I think uh, the access to information is, is out there. So, if you're trying to find different tournaments to be able to be at and you're trying to look for maybe a national tournament to go to or a nice, really regional, local tournament that, you know, that'll have a lot of good players in it, um, you know, you can be able to definitely be able to do that research. Um, so, I think. A lot of major players are definitely offering uh, the, the the services. It's a matter of trying to be able to just put yourself out there a little bit. I, I think that's very very big because coaches put themselves out there for for yourself to see them on court and interact with you um, as a as a player, and also meeting parents as well. I think is a very big uh, you know part of the process, mm-hmm. um, but also making sure that your child also has the opportunities to be able to to be out there. So I think there's a lot of different things, and coaches talk um, amongst, you know, you, you know, definitely with other coaches about um, players that they think would be great fits for their program. So maybe if you go to an event, and there's maybe a couple schools that you're interested in, uh, and there's a couple that you're not, uh, you never know the power of the word of mouth as, um, you know, as the power of the word of mouth word-of-mouth recommendation that you get from other coaches because maybe one coach is able to talk to another coach about a player that they weren't able to see and they say, hey, listen, this is who they are. They were really great on court. I think they'd be great for your program. Um, so definitely coaches also talk amongst themselves a little bit about players. That can also be able to help each other's programs because a lot of programs are in a lot of different uh, places. So sometimes if a, if a player is not right for you, they might be a great fit for someone else and then an introduction can be able to be formed from there.
0: Sure, sure. And just so my listeners know, I'll have links to all of these showcases and camps in the show notes. So be sure and check that out. And then you can look at at them and see if there are dates that work for you. You know, one of the things in recruiting that it doesn't matter which division you're looking at. I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host Lisa Stone. June is prime recruiting season for college tennis coaches, whether they are Division 1, Division 2, II, Division 3, NAIA, um Juco, the college coaches are out there watching top juniors locally and around the country as well as around the world. In fact, While the French Open was going on, I got notice of several top college coaches over in France watching the junior event and, I'm sure, taking copious notes on who they want to get for their programs in the upcoming seasons. So I thought this would be a great time to really expand the conversation about college recruiting and focus a little bit on Division Three. For those of you who've been following along Parenting Aces, you know my own child went Division 1 and it was all he ever wanted and really all he considered during the recruiting process. But as I've come to learn more about the other divisions out there, I have become a big fan of Division 3 tennis for a lot of reasons. Not the least of which is the balance that these programs seem to have between academics and competition and training. So I'm really thrilled to have Coach Matt Brazzotti with us this week. Matt is both the men's and the women's coach at Hamilton College in New York. It's part of the NESCAC Conference, which is one of the top conferences in Division 3, and he offers some great insights on what it means to play at the Division 3 level, what goes on during the recruiting process at Division 3 and answer some questions about how we can fund a D3 education and college tennis experience for our kids. So relax, enjoy, and I hope you learn as much as I did from my conversation with Matt Brazzotti. Matt Brazzotti, thanks so much for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast. And thank you so much for having me. So I spoke about in the intro the fact that we are going to be focused on D three tennis in this week's episode. Before we jump into your experience at the D three level, I would love for you to give our listeners a little bit of your background in tennis.
1: Absolutely, you know, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. You know, really looking forward to helping you to educate uh, junior coaches, parents, junior players, um, and I even know from myself. Uh, you know, even as a college coach, I really get a lot of information by different outlets that are out there, and I, I'm definitely a big fan of Parenting Aces and exactly what they're trying to do for the tennis community. Um, but kind of a little more background on myself: um, I grew up on Long Island, um, where, and the part of uh, Long Island where maybe tennis wasn't the biggest hotbed um, it was kind of out there on the uh, um, all the way out there on the East Coast on the. Uh, on the north side of the island as well, uh, where the access to uh, play in the wintertime wasn't always uh, there. And I really started to pick up the game because I had an older brother um, who's a couple years older than me. He, he picked up the sport, um, and being the younger brother, I figured whatever he wanted to do, I wanted to do, but also uh, I think also in the back of my mind try to be able, also be able to beat him as well uh, as, the, <laughs> as, uh, as time went along. Um, So I really played uh, two sports growing up um, that I focused a lot of energy on, and that was uh, soccer and tennis. Um, And I was definitely playing soccer at a younger age uh, just because of the access that was out there for juniors. Um, But when I was right around eight or nine years old, uh, I kind of picked up the tennis racket, um, and it was just a totally different experience. Um, I was out there uh Learning a little more about myself every single time I went out there and played um and it kind of morphed into a really nice junior career for myself uh where I had really good support on the home front from my uh from my parents and and you know and also other families and uh you know family members as well that came out to to support me um and that was really great um to be honest my uh parents um didn't know a whole lot about tennis. They were very casual into tennis. They didn't really know too much about it. So they said, you like doing this? And I said, yes. And we just kept doing it. Um, and then I feel like if we had to have different conversations on why maybe uh, I wasn't liking it, I would maybe not have played. So they weren't overbearing at all uh, in my junior development uh, process. They were just like, these are the opportunities that are afforded to us that we're able to do. Um you know, and if we want to do them, we'll support you. Um, but we, we don't really know too much about tennis. Uh, but you know, we're definitely going to support you on whatever you want to do. Um, and then by the time I was a junior in high school, um, I started doing some different events and more tournaments as well um, for for myself to try to be able to get seen. Because uh, I kind of knew I was definitely going to go the the Division three route uh, for sure. Um, I had a couple. I had one friend of mine who actually went on to play Division one um and he you know who's a great player uh, he had a lot of success there um, and even I had one of my um, people that I played with in the juniors they actually went off to a Division one institution and actually wound up uh, finishing their their career on the division three level, so I saw a little bit of that, and I was definitely excited about. The opportunity to be a you know a student athlete on, on the Division three level. Um, so I went to Drew University in Madison, New Jersey. Played Division three tennis there for all four years. Um, we we had a very successful team. We uh, we won the conference all all four years I was there. We made it to the NCAA tournament um, uh, for three out of the four years as well. Um, and that was a really great experience to really be able to. Play the highest level of Division three tennis out there. Um, I think it was great to be able to play a lot of regional play, but also we had a really great experiences from what the Division three uh, college tennis experience can offer a lot of student athletes. I had members of my team that went abroad um, for for a whole semester, and I had uh, members of the team that didn't do that, and they kind of just did. Um, different things on campus and really stayed active and involved in the campus community life. And I think the balance uh, something that I, I really talk to my players about and student-athletes about is just the balance and the way you want to approach a Division three institution and also your experience, I think, is something that I can definitely draw a direct connection with to them and, and make it very relatable for them to understand that you can really do it all at a Division three institution. Um, and it's just kind of finding those great opportunities for for yourself um, and then kind of backtrack a little bit I upon graduation I went right into kind of the private sector of tennis working as a, uh, a teaching pro I knew I definitely didn't want to sit at a desk all day and uh, do a whole lot of paperwork um, but I really wanted to be out there and work with junior development junior kids and also Um, adult tennis as well. Um, And shortly after I graduated, I had the opportunity to coach at my alma mater. um, And that was a really great experience. I took over for uh, my coach at the time. um, And it was a really great learning experience. It was um, kind of dumped in the deep end of of a pool and just kind of keep swimming. And the faster you swim, you know, the easier it's going to be to get out of the water. Um, And that was really great as a young coach uh, to be able to actually coach Players that I was teammates with, um, and that was really, really interesting, and a very good part of the maturation process for myself as a as a coach was was to be able to go through that. I think it was a very good learning experience, um, and also also really learned great values of respect, communication, and seeing things through a different lens. As, as you're a young coach, about 22 years old, uh, really. Uh, 22, 23 years old, uh, being able to take ownership of a men's and women's tennis program and really see them excel and realize how much as a coach you really value what they're doing outside of the classroom. I think sometimes coaches see it uh, through through a tennis lens, but I think being able to be a student athlete and then closely going into a coaching role, you really appreciate the time that they give you as as a student athlete because they are getting pulled in a lot of directions. And I think being at a Division three institution, you really learn to respect and appreciate the time that the student athletes give you.
0: Let me just ask you because I know you mentioned that you coached both the men and women at Drew, and I think that's a pretty common scenario uh, at a lot of D three schools, where the the one coach is in charge of both programs. And coming from college tennis yourself, obviously playing on a men's team. What was the biggest challenge for you in coaching the women?
1: I think the biggest challenge initially um, was trying to understand that it is a little bit of a different game um, and maybe things that you wanted to do right away as a coach um, you really had to listen to feedback on um, and I think you really have to listen to what uh, kind of the the heartbeat and temperature of the room is that I call it um, and just really listen to um, things that they feel that are very successful. Um, I think you always try to implement what you want to be able to do as a coach and different areas that you feel that you can attack or how to counter things, but um, overall, from from the beginning, I really tried to be a good listener for, for my student-athletes, and I think when you're able to listen, I think then they really care about how much you appreciate them, um, and then I think that from there, trust is being able to be built, and I think when you have trust with your student-athletes, I think, and they really respect how much you care, I think then that really starts uh, creating a very good relationship with them to be able to help them succeed, um, you know, on and off the court. So I definitely think in the beginning it was a lot of listening, um, kind of shutting the mouth a little bit, which is sometimes tough. Um, Maybe when you're a younger coach and it's your first thing, you really want to try to say a lot to maybe um, impress them on knowledge, when really all you have to do is maybe just sit back, listen, take the information that's given, and then and be able to spit out kind of the best information possible where you're taking their side. And also you're trying to, you know, throw your flavor on things as well.
0: Right. Interesting. So you moved from Drew over to Hamilton, which is in New York. Is it close to where you grew up or?
1: Um, It was, it's not actually, um, it's actually kind of far (laughs) from where I grew up on Long Island. Um, But I was actually given the opportunity to come here starting in January, um, and it was just an opportunity that um, just the caliber of student athletes that you're able to work with, um, it, it's just a different um, environment that you're able to be in academically and also athletically, um, and competing in the conference that we are able to compete in, which is the NESCAT conference, which um, has schools such as Bowdoin, Williams, Amherst, um, Middlebury, just to name a few, um, you're you're also able to test how good you can be um, as a as a coach and also as a as a leader and a and an educator on really where you can take a program and what what better opportunity to, than to be in um, well, what what I consider which is probably debated um, you know argu- at least arguably the uh, you know toughest Division three tennis conference in the country. Mm-hmm. What how
0: important is conference in D three?
1: I think it definitely depends on what you're looking for. Um, I think that there's a lot of great conferences out there. You see it all the time that there's really great schools that are in conferences um, and, you know, maybe it's not the toughest conference year in and year out, but I think um, all the schools all have the same goals. So, you know, no one likes finishing last. doesn't matter if you're in the, um, you know, up, you know, in the upper echelon of division three, or if you're in the mid tier to lower level of division three, um, I think a lot of coaches have really good values um and i think that you know when you're able to develop those things i i think every conference turns very competitive um and there's a lot of different kind of conferences but um you know i think that it's all about the values i think they're all placed in conferences for especially on the Vision 3 level, uh, I definitely think a little bit, definitely uh, a lot of it is probably actually geographically, um, but also just their academic values and what they value um, and what the university presidents or college presidents look at as to be their main values when it turns uh, into respects of athletics and academics. Um, and they're really able to form alliances with, um, with new, uh, you know, with other institutions out there. Um, when I... First started at Drew University, um, we competed in the landmark conference, and it was a brand-new conference. Um, It was third year in when I first got there, so we weren't actually um, NCAA tournament eligible right away because we were a new conference. We kind of had to prove ourselves, and that was a really cool experience going through that, um, knowing that we are new. But the reason why the conference was, was put together was because of the alignment that they had with academic values. For sure and like that was definitely one of the things that drew me to being a to play in such a conference like that as well
0: So in Division 1 tennis we know there are the Power 5 conferences and then there's everybody else is there some kind of similar makeup in D3 in terms of certain conferences dominating and then everybody else just kind of along for the ride
1: I wouldn't say that there is that big of a divide because there are really good institutions uh, that maybe don't play in. Uh, if you look at the, at the ITA or the NCAA rankings uh, for the teams, you do see a lot of, uh, you know, you, you definitely see your fair share of NESCAC institutions as well as UAA institutions as well as the SEAC conference out, out on the West Coast, um, just to name a few, but um, you definitely see... Traditional powers um, that have you just look through a lot of the rankings um, and maybe they're not in one of those big-time conferences, but um, I think you do have a couple conferences that are a little stronger um, top to bottom. If they did a conference-to-conference challenge, uh, which was which we you know we can't do, but uh, but but I actually think it'd be really cool to be able to play uh, you know a couple systems like that. But um, you definitely see a couple conferences that are uh, just overall they may maybe stronger top to bottom, but there are so many good schools out there that really have great tennis programs, great leaders as coaches, you know, that are leading those institutions that maybe aren't in all the same conferences. But you definitely get a little bit of parity with the conferences and some strengths, but I would say, you know, a little bit there, but also you do have some great institutions that, that are definitely historical tennis powers that, um, you know, really do a great job of year in, year out, despite maybe playing in a weaker conference, being right there in the Sweet 16 of the, of the NCAA tournament or the Elite Eight or the Final Four, kind of year in and year out, you kind of always pencil them in. Got it.
0: Is there a such thing as mid-major schools in D3? Uh,
1: there's nothing. no such thing as mid-major schools um, because I think a lot of times when they're talking about mid-major conferences in NCAA Division one, I, I think they're talking about um, opportunity for funding. Um, For for what they can do for the athletic program, and I think those mid those traditional mid majors are kind of capped out a little bit, in my opinion, on how much they're able to spend, or if they were to spend the amount that a power five school would, it would take up their entire budget for maybe uh, all their athletic programs, as they just funneling their effort towards one, uh, you know, instead of looking out for all the schools. Um, But but division three is great because you don't have that um, in division three. I think everyone's on a level playing field, so it doesn't matter if you're division three school in I don't know in um, in Texas, uh, you know, or if you're a Division three school up in Maine, uh, you have the same opportunity because there's no funding for your players. So you, as long you know, I think the like the big thing is getting them there, obviously on the recruiting end, and then developing them once they are student athletes on your campus. But it's kind of nice that you know you're not feeling like you have to go if you're. Scholar. If your school only has two scholarships, you're playing against an eight scholarship school. You know, I think that's a little bit of a difference there on the kind of student you can of, of the student athlete you can get. It's all very on a level playing field for for Division three because there is no funding. So it's kind of every single year, anything can happen as well, which 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 I really like and, and it's the beauty of it.
0: Mhm. Well, let's talk about recruiting in Division 3 and what that looks like. I I've done so many podcasts and written so many articles about Division 1 college recruiting over the years, and my listeners know I'm a recent convert to D3. I am on the bandwagon. I am the biggest cheerleader for D3 right now. I think it is a phenomenal way for young student athletes to experience college and tennis simultaneously and get the most out of both those things without having to make a whole lot of compromises on either end. And, you know, I think it's, it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal opportunity. But the recruiting is different because, as you said, there are no scholarships for tennis at D3 or any sport for that matter. The scholarship money exists at the academic level or at the need level rather than the athletics level.
1: Absolutely, you know, and that definitely changes a little bit of the ball game that you're working with. Um, I think the biggest thing, I guess, I guess one of the there's, I, th- I definitely think there's two big myths about Division three tennis. Uh, one, if you go Division three, you're not playing at the same level as a lot of the as a lot of the Division one schools. Um, I would definitely argue, and I think you can use definitely a lot of different tools out there, um, such as UTR tennis recruiting, um, and you can you can see that just by the types of students that are going to these institutions that there's a really good parallel between the two. Um, and just because it's labeled Division 3 doesn't mean that their tennis level is not um, good or it's just a walk-on or it's a glorified club. Um, I would definitely uh, would love to argue anyone who would say differently. I, I think that would uh, be a really great conversation to have. Um, and actually sometimes I, I believe that Division Three student-athletes because they do have the opportunity for a lot more uh, extracurriculars outside of the tennis court or in the weight room or, or, or wherever they're working on for their sport, they're probably putting in more effort, uh, to be honest, to make sure it's really concentrated that they can do it. Um, so sometimes it is a really big commitment as well. Um, and then the other myth uh, that I think is just because there's no scholarships doesn't mean that there's no funding. Um, there's, no, there's no opportunity for financial assistance. I think a lot of uh, a lot of universities and colleges they offer and you can just look this up on their on their um, admissions page under financial aid and scholarships they'll tell you pretty much exactly what they can offer um, and every institution is very different from one another um, you know on, on what they can offer um, and types of aid that they can give out um, so it's it's super important that you know, parents and not only parents but for parents listening out there put the onus on on your child to be able to go to these schools pages and write down a list or create some type of document that can be shared with other family members of the schools that you're interested in. and if and if finances are definitely a big part of the decision um, of of where your child might go make sure that they're, they're they're able to write down and understand the costs and also different Ways to be able to get price price down. If mm-hmm. you know if price is definitely going to be a determining factor within schools. Um, so those are kind of the two biggest myths out there for Division three for sure. Um, okay. But as far as on a recruiting end, I think it definitely is a little bit different um, because you can. I, I just think the funnel and the the range of student that you're looking at is a lot different than maybe a, a Division one level. Um, or a Division One institution because I think that you never know kind of maybe sometimes who can walk through your door or all of a sudden just show up on campus. So I think it's very important for for junior players to try to be able to do tournaments. Um, I definitely think that's a really good barrier for things and really good marker to put yourself up against good good competition as well. But also finding different showcases or camps um, as well to be able to help. Increase your access to coaches. I think it's, I, you know, in, in my experience, I, I would go to a lot of local USTA tournaments, and I'd be the only college coach there, um, be the only one. It was kind of nice at the same time, um, but also it doesn't really help increase that kid's exposure or, or your child's exposure to many different college coaches. I think uh, showcases and camps where you're able to um, be around coaches and see coaches, you just look at some of the numbers that, um, you know, different types of events can bring in of a number of coaches. Where else are you going to get a, a pool of 65, 70 coaches at, at, at one place for tennis? It might happen in other sports such as basketball. Um, I, I, I talk to a lot of different coaches about their recruiting tactics, and they're like, I, I go out to a place or I go to a random game, and if, if there's a player that's very talented, you see six, seven coaches there for tennis, I don't think it's the same. Maybe it's maybe it has to do with budgets or something like that that the um, coaches aren't able to do. Or sometimes, you know, it's a one man or it's a one coach operation where there's only one coach trying to do multiple teams and there's only so many hours in a day. Um, so they might not be able to go to all the events that they would like. But I definitely think for Division three recruiting, I think it's important that you get your your child. Um, exposure to these events. Um, I think there's a lot of them that are coming through. I think when well, I know is that as I was in a junior uh, phase, there was only maybe one or two events out there um, that are still going, such as, um, you know, Tim Donovan, what he does with showcases, as well as uh, what Ed Kraft is able to do, um, you know, with his College Tennis Academy. Those are really the two players in the beginning, and now you see a lot of other events starting up, because I think it is very important to be able to have your your child exposed to coaches and other levels of different players out there, um, so that way maybe they understand a little bit more. If I was thinking, oh, I just want to play Division One, I. I just want to play Division One, you, you you kind of put yourself in that environment of other like-minded people who want to go you know, play college tennis and be a student-athlete as well, and you can see how similar they are and also... How maybe you can step up your game a little bit to try to kind of uh, stand out and uh, you know stand out in front of a crowd a little bit more. It's a little bit sometimes it's a little bit intimidating for student athletes, but and especially junior players when you're talking about them being 15, 16, 17 years old. I think sometimes that is intimidating, but um, I think what they'll quickly realize is that it's a very nice community that college coaches really try to create for for junior players, because you want them to feel comfortable. We want them to be able to show who they are as a person. I think that's always a big thing, especially on Division three level. You're able to spend a lot of time with the student-athletes, um, and you really want to make sure that you're always bringing in quality people that could be a really nice addition, not only to your team on the court, but also what are they going to be off the court as well, You mm-hmm. know what you're trying to build a team culture. Um, so I think uh the division three recruiting process through tournaments but also different showcases and camps it really does a really nice job to be able to give opportunities and that's all we can do is just try to give opportunities for for parents to have their children be able to have this opportunity to be able to go play in front of coaches because nothing beats when you're able to meet a coach and talk to a coach and talk to them about their program you're able to get excited about it um Nothing else replaces that. All websites kind of look a little similar at the end of the day, so it's a matter right. of trying to be able to put your, you know, put your front foot out there and try to say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm looking for. You know, I'd love the opportunity to talk to you about your program in school.
0: Well, in full disclosure, you do some work with Tarek Merchant, and I'm recruitable in the collegiate exposure camps there. Um, so I just want to make sure my listeners know that. Besides those camps, the collegiate exposure camps and Donovan and Crass, are there others that you go to, or that you you know that your colleagues go to and have good success in terms of meeting the the right players? And I'm I'm using air quotes um, for their programs.
1: Yeah, um, I also have the opportunity to work uh, at Crass's camp uh, that he does as well, Um, and that's kind of funny being a a former camper to now one of the coaches there. So it's been a really nice full circle experience being able to work with him and his staff. Um, but also you do have Donovan. You also have what the USTA is doing down in Florida as well um, at the National Training Center. Um, there's also something out there with the uh, John McEnroe Academy that I've been to as well um, out there on Randall's Island that they continue to do. Um, so a lot of how to find things is through other coaches um, because they're really great resources, Um, but also just kind of trying to put in the work. You know, I think uh, the access to information is, is out there. So if you're trying to find different tournaments to be able to be at, and you're trying to look for maybe a national tournament to go to, or a nice really regional local tournament that, you know, that'll have a lot of good players in it. um, You know, you can be be able to definitely be able to do that research. Um, So I think, a lot of major players are definitely offering uh, the, the the services it's a matter of trying to be able to just put yourself out there a little bit I, I think that's very very big because coaches put themselves out there for for yourself to see them on court and interact with you um, as a as a player and also meeting parents as well I think is a very big uh, you know part of the process mm-hmm. um, but also making sure that your child also has the opportunities to be able to to be out there. So I think there's a lot of different things, and coaches talk um, amongst, you know, you, you know, definitely with other coaches about um, players that they think would be great fits for their program. So maybe if you go to an event, and there's maybe a couple schools that you're interested in, uh, and there's a couple that you're not, uh, you never know the power of the word of mouth as, um, you know, as the power of the word of mouth word-of-mouth recommendation that you get from other coaches because maybe one coach is able to talk to another coach about a player that they weren't able to see and they say, hey, listen, this is who they are. They were really great on court. I think they'd be great for your program. Um, So definitely coaches also talk amongst themselves a little bit about players that can also be to help each other's programs because a lot of programs are in a lot of different uh, places. So sometimes if if a player is not right for you, they might be a great fit for someone else and then an introduction can be able to be formed from there.
0: Sure, sure. And just so my listeners know, I'll have links to all of these showcases and camps in the show notes. So be sure and check that out. And then you can look at, at them and see if there are dates that work for you. You know, one of the things in recruiting that it doesn't matter which division you're looking at, um, geography is a tough one. Because For a student athlete that is looking to stay close to home, it's pretty easy to go visit the colleges in your area and form relationships with coaches, whether it's going to camps as, you know, nine, 10 year olds or going to to watch them compete and, you know, forming relationships with the players and coaches that way or whatever, you know, opportunities you have to be exposed to those schools that are nearby. But for a player that's looking to be in a different part of the country for college, you know, my kids all went, well, two of my three kids went far away for school. One one stayed a little closer to home. But getting to know the coaches in the programs that are outside your immediate geographic area is really challenging. And it sounds like from what you're saying, Matt, that these these recruiting camps and and showcases and combines are really a great opportunity for kids that are looking outside their own geographic area. In addition to the ones that are staying close to home.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I think you can always be able to get a couple um, schools that are close to you as a as a uh, as a recruit. You can definitely be able to find a couple schools that are local to you, but also there's also those students out there and those recruits that want to go a little far away from home. Um, maybe it's different geographic region for what it can afford, but um, you know, it's going to be hard for if you want to go out to the West coast and you're based in Virginia and you're based in Virginia to maybe have that college coach fly out to the Virginia state tournament, you know, that might be a little bit tough for them, but if you're saying, Hey, I'm going to go to a more of a national event um, where the opportunity is there, You know, are you, are you gonna be able to come through? And I think that's really great that a lot of different people are now kind of realizing that and they're trying to give the opportunities to, to students so you can get out of the geographic region and that uh, opportunities are afforded on all the coasts, north, south, east, and west. You can kind of go all over the country right now and you can find different events. So say if you're even from the southern region and you wanna go up to the northern region, there's going to be something there, or even if there's a big event down in the southern region, play in the southern region because there might be coaches that are coming on down. Um, right. And I, and I think what's great is they definitely do a good job of listing, uh, you know, potential coaches that are going to be there. Um, everything's kind of subject to change a little bit because sometimes coaches' schedules can change on a dime, um, it's just because life also happens as well. Um, but it's it's nice that a lot of the uh, different services out there they they also try to give a really good list of. Uh, schools that have attended and and also are planning to attend their events. So as a as a child or or as a parent, you're able to just go on the website and you can potentially see the 60 or 70 schools that are going to be potentially going to there. And I'm sure out of those 60 or 70 schools, they're not going to be all in your region. They're going to be from all over the place.
0: Right. 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 That's a great point. Well, so what are D3 coaches looking for during recruiting? I mean, again, you know, I've done countless podcasts and articles about D1. And I, I think we've discussed that ad nauseum on Parenting Aces. But D3 is a little more vague. And, um, you know, at, at the D1 level, some of the time, you know, you have coaches who say, "Look, you know, the grades aren't that important as long as you as you meet a minimum, you know, we can work with the admissions department and get you in." Is that the case at D three, or you know, what goes on?
1: Yeah. So, kind of what the um, what the general process is is admissions. Especially at the at the Division three level, they're going to be the gatekeepers. So think of them are the ones that are open the fence to let you in, or just because of grades, you know, you're you know you're not able to get in. Um, sometimes just that's just the reality of it. Um, so it's very important that you really re- develop a relationship with the coach um, at the school, but also you also are able to make sure that the admissions department. Um, knows that you're very interested in the institution because um, that can only help out the cause. Um, but I think for what Division three coaches look for, um, you know, I definitely think it's a, you know, and I'm one of those coaches that really believe in team dynamic, team culture, you know, a lot of the personalities that you're trying to bring in, making sure that everyone's trying to be on the same page as, as much as possible. Grant over the course of an ap- academic year, there's always going to be little things that happen along the way. That's just called life. Even It doesn't matter if you're a family member or whatever else is going on. Little things happen along the way. But really trying to make sure that you understand the heartbeat and culture of your team I think is super important. And that's, and that's definitely a vision shared by not only myself, but also by a lot of other Division three coaches that I know. Uh, we all believe in that. Um, so sometimes there, there might be a potential player that we're looking at um, who's certainly talented and like, wow, man, like they could really help us out. You know, she hits a really great serve. It's really great forehand. And she's not afraid to move into the net. Um, but then for some reason, you know, you look over and maybe she's cracking rackets on the side or she's do it, or she's demonstrating bad behavior or um, other things of, of that nature. And that could actually be a really big deterrent for a Division three institution. Um so it's always very important that you always try to make sure that whenever you're around, and just in general, and just daily life habits, you want to try to make sure that you're presenting your best self at all times. Um, because I know, especially on a, on a Division three level, those are a lot of things that we look for. Uh, for because I think uh, so much of Division three is not only just kind of recruiting, but also developing players. Um, because I, you know, I would try to tell my my student athletes, this you're not going to be a, a perfect tennis player by the time you come in, so it's not going to be, there's always going to be something you're going to have to work on. And If you're not approachable or you seem coachable, we're kind of wasting our time and you're not going to be able to grow as a player. Um, so you really want to try to find players that are very approachable, very coachable, that really um, really want to be at the institution. I think that's the other thing that makes uh, divisions of recruiting very interesting is that. You're really going for that academic experience and what and how else the school can supplement besides athletics, but what they can do for you academically, and also how they can help shape your future um, and And I know this from personal experience that you know sometimes you talk to uh, players and they're very tennis driven, and that's very appreciative, but then all of a sudden you ask them, "Well what else do you want to try to accomplish in your four years at our institution?" And they're like, "I don't know." You know you should have some kind of goal of what you want to try to be able to accomplish throughout your four years at at your academic institution um, and I think that's very very important and that also plays within the recruiting process of knowing of how much balance is there going to be um, mm-hmm. or also too being upfront in the recruiting process about what the expectations are with your program. Um, I have no problem giving any any of our student ad- of uh, are any of our any any of our potential student athletes any recruits our copy of our team expectations so that way you know kind of what you're signing up for. Um, hey, if I want to make this my choice, this is what I am signing up for. I know this is going to be the average amount of time on court. This is what we're going to put in the weight room. This is just going to be team time, um, and then this is just random time sometimes that maybe we have to uh, just do for the program, or that be special events put on for for student-athletes on campus, so you have to be able to be flexible for that as well. Um, so it's definitely a two-way street. You have to be able to know what you're signing up for um, as, a, as a recruit, but also um, from a coaching end, you should really know what they're trying to accomplish at your institution, um, being a student-athlete, because it's not just going to be about being athletes. A lot of it, especially at, at the Division three level, um, just kind of institutionally, is going to be what are your goals that you want to set for yourself in the classroom.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that's, that's come up recently, um, to me, and, and it's not something I've necessarily shared through Parenting Aces, but, uh, just these are, you know, off the line, um, conversations that I've had is the lack of support for the student athlete when he or she has an issue with their tennis, whether it's an issue with the coach, an issue with the teammate, um, you know, an issue with the program in general. Uh, at least at the Division One level, it seems there's very little support, if any, available to the student athlete. I'm wondering if you can speak to that at the Division Three level. Um, you know, for example, let's say a, a coach and a player uh, – disagree on how something should be done. Maybe the coach is demanding that the player uh, pick their academic schedule, create their academic schedule around practice times. And, um, you know, the player says, but I have to have this class for my major. I, you know, I, I can't not take this class. And the coach has an issue with that. And, who does the student athlete go to at that point? Is, is there somebody or some office that is typically there for the student?
1: Yeah, I mean uh, I mean, Lisa, I think you're bringing up a great point um, on definitely why Division three institutions are different um, than a lot of uh, Division one institutions in regards of creating class schedules and dealing with conflict, I think. The support that's given to student athletes at every single institution I've been to um, is definitely really high, and it's it's a it's a cultural decision I believe based upon your athletic department on on, on the Division three level that the academics do come first, and coaches might sometimes just have preferences on things. Um, so if you're taking a if you're taking a intro to Spanish course and there's four different times that are laid out and generally you know you're practicing from uh, 4.30 to 6.30 just you know just to give an example and the student-athlete signs up for the intro to Spanish class from 4.30 to 5.45 we're definitely going to have conversations about there's multiple sections so can we try to be able to get into the earlier one because you would be missing a significant amount of practice time. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's one example of just kind of an intro course. You know, there's going to be other sections. Let's try to be able to work around it if possible. Then when you're talking about upper-level courses and courses that the student-athlete needs to graduate, it's an upper-level lab, for instance, uh, for sciences, or if it's a capstone course and it runs into practice time, we're going to make a really good decision Uh, for the student first in this scenario. We're going to take away the athlete piece and we're just going to focus them on what they need as students to be successful graduates of the institution. And we're really going to work on, hey, listen, if you have to take this lab, I totally respect it, but maybe we'll try to find time during the day or maybe after practice that we're able to work on a couple things. So if you know you have to miss every Tuesday practice because of your of your capstone lab for chemistry, say, we're going to work together to make sure we're able to keep your progress going. Um, And that's kind of the attitude and cultural decisions that are made on on the division three level to take away the athlete piece and really just focus on what the student needs, uh, because that might be the one section that they need to be able to graduate. And why would they take an extra semester and extra money out of their pocket? Because, You have to practice for an hour and a half to two hours a day. Let's really try to be flexible here to work with the student athlete um, to be able to have them be able to achieve their goals. You know, I think an important statistic to always look at with a lot of schools is uh, their four-year graduation rate. Are you going to be spending extra tuition dollars for fifth years, and why would that be? Or if hey, if 98% of the students get done within four years. You know exactly what you're spending on on tuition, and we're going to make that happen for the student and, and for the student athlete.
0: And I think it's really important if, if from a financial standpoint or any standpoint, really, that a student needs to be able to graduate in four years, that the, the student and the parents both are upfront about that from the get-go. Because if everybody's informed from the beginning and on the same page that, hey, we need to make sure we're on track with this, then the likelihood of success is much higher.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely think one of the things that should play into the, the uh, college selection process for any student or parent listening out there is a lot of times they get hung up on the first year. And what they're being told is going to be their success in the first year, Um, but college is a four-year experience, and some of the questions that I think should be asked more by parents and recruits and uh, coaches should try to explain a little bit more, so I think everyone has a hand in this, is that you're going to be a student-athlete for four years what do you want your experience to be for four years? I think a lot of time it's talking about year one, about your initial impression of the school and where it's going, um, or that playing time the first year that sometimes get asked. But then maybe by the year two, it, it might not be there. And then they're questioning why, what happened, because your only question, your, your only questions are directed towards that first year or that first semester of play. You know, Make sure that you have a good holistic view, just kind of as you're talking about here, is your goal for four years, not just the not just the first year we want to make sure that all four years can definitely be done the way that you envision and that the and and that the philosophies line up for after four years, not just the first year
0: mm-hmm. well, one of the biggest concerns I think from the parental side of college recruiting, obviously is how are we going to pay for this because if our children have gone through the junior tennis tournament structure in this country or any country really, um, we've probably spent their college tuition money at least one time, maybe two or three times, depending on how much we've traveled with them, right? So having some sort of financial support as they enter college is top of the list for many families that I deal with. Um, So let's talk about this funding issue with D3 and the fact that Division 3 does not offer athletic scholarships, as we've already mentioned, but there are other ways to fund your education at a division 3 school and I would love to hear Matt your take on what your role is as coach in a explaining that to a PSA and the family and b helping them secure that funding.
1: So the so the biggest thing a coach can do on the division 3 level um, is to make sure that the the families of the PSA, the potential student-athlete, they're aware of all the options out there for them. Um, they're not allowed to have say in funding or where funding goes. Uh, that is something that is not allowed by a coach. Um, but the biggest thing a coach can do is to be able to talk about the opportunities that exist at the institution for for yourself to continue to get funding or, or to be able to – or or to be able to be getting more funding and assistance. Um, and funding is definitely one of the um, big topics in Division Three in general, just about, hey, how do families uh, support themselves or how, you know, we have a budget on what we want to spend and we're going to be over budget. And, you know, being over budget by two grand for doesn't sound like the biggest deal for a, a lot, but then you times it by four, then you're getting close to 10 grand. And that is a very significant amount of sum of money. Um, so making sure that you're able to understand the opportunities that are afforded to you by the different institutions. There are some institutions that will give a lot of aid because of the situations that they're in. And they really want to um, have a class that uh, includes your your. your uh your child, and they love their scores, they love their test grades, they, you know, they're like, listen, we would love to give you a, a three-quarter scholarship for your academics. Um, you know, the way I always look at it is if a, if a college costs $50,000 and you're getting, from a Division One institution, you're getting a $25,000 scholarship, right, so you still have to pay $25,000, but if you Talk about getting that same institution. If they're a Division three institution, they say, "Hey, we're going to give you thirty thousand dollars for your for your grades." You know, last time I checked, thirty is more than twenty five. Okay. Uh, so that institution that's on Division three level is actually going to be more affordable than potentially the Division one. Um, so and sure
0: the- and academic money doesn't disappear if you get injured or decide not to continue playing tennis. Athletic Absolutely. money goes away. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, Which we learn the hard way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are some stories out there. Um, I think what they've done on the Division One level, especially Power Five, is trying to guarantee scholarships is a great step in the right direction. Um, but that's few and far between, To you know, you, you know to put it nicely, where they're going to be able to guarantee that. So you have to really take a look at what is my situation or if you realize that, hey, I want to make sure I can guarantee myself this money. All I have to do is just remain academically eligible for it. There are some really advanced scholarships at school that do require you to keep a higher GPA. So you just have to make sure you're able to wear that um, and you're able to you know, really make sure that you're able to do that and commit to that. Um, but 99% of the scholarships in Division III for your academics, they're going to be guaranteed for the four years, no matter what happens, exactly as you said earlier. so
0: Hmm. And so, where? What kind of guidance can you, as the coach, give the family? Let's say the family comes in and says, "Look, you know, my kid really wants." to come here. Um, she wants to play tennis for you. You know, you like her. She fits the culture of your team. Uh, she's got the grades, but we just cannot afford the tuition. And the only way we're going to be able to send her here is if
1: she gets some
0: scholarship money. What do you do at that point as the
1: coach? As a coach, you obviously remind them of the different financial aid options that are out there. Um, there are instances that uh, sometimes a financial aid number does come back. Um, and because you've built a close relationship with the family in the recruiting process, um, you know they might be very open to talking financials with you just because they, um, you've, you've definitely built that trust
0: uh, mm-hmm.
1: within the family. And there are sometimes opportunities, and every school is different. Um, Every school is very different with the way they handle it. Um, But something that is picking up a little more traction um, is the appeals process, where um, a coach might say, hey, listen, if you're able to talk to people in financial aid and just say, hey, listen, we're a little bit off, on, on what we're dealing with here. Um, is there any opportunity for extra funding? We would love for you to take a second look. Um, and that's called an appeal. Um, not every institution offers it. Um, so that's something that you would definitely talk to a coach about if there is um, an appeal process for, for financial aid, um, if you feel that you need more um, than what's currently giving, uh, you know, than than what the school is currently providing for you. So that is another avenue that you can take, um, but every school is different. Um, so it's, it's very, it's just important that you ask if it's, if it's even offered because some schools will say yes, some schools will say no. And then a coach can, if it is a yes, a coach can guide you on how to do that or make sure you're getting in touch with the right people. Um, I always think it's best for coaches on the division three level that they are financially aware, but they're not financially specific. Um, so that, that a coach stays out of the actual dollar amounts because Mm -hmm. I don't think that will bode well for anyone, especially when you talk about non-scholarship. But you can just be able to offer guidance and generalities on things, and you can be able to get them in touch with the right people. Um, Because as a coach, you never want to put yourself in the middle of a financial situation because you are a... Tennis coach, at the end of the day, you're not a financial aid officer. Um, right, You're know, right. making financial decisions for the institution as a whole. Um, but it's very important that you're able to talk about it if it's necessary. But, um, you know, making sure that you're not getting into dollars and cents, you're just able to offer the correct advice. Um, and at the end of the day, you always want it to be a right fit. Um, so you want to just be up front and and say, hey, listen, if, if the school is just a little bit um, out of your range financially, um you know sometimes it, it you know sometimes it's not fun to say that because sometimes you lose players by that um, but it's better that a, a parent and family feels that a coach is being very honest with you and just being like I don't think there's anything more we can do at this point um, we' still love you, have you but if it doesn't work out it just doesn't work out but there are the good news is that there's so many great institutions out there and so many great college tennis opportunities for players especially on the division three level Um There, there, you know, there really always will be that home out there for a student athlete if they're really looking for one.
0: So one thing I'm hearing you say is parents, if you have a coach say to you, oh, don't worry about it. I'm going to talk to financial aid and we're going to get this fixed and we're going to make it happen and get you the money you need. Um, maybe that's a big red flag if a coach says that.
1: I think coaches are entitled to say what they always want. Um, for me, in my position, I, I would never say that because I would never want to guarantee a family um, that more aid would become available. Um, you know, coaches view it very, sometimes very differently. Um, but I think at the end of the day, um, if a coach is telling you, we're going to be able to get you that money, you, like bank on it or commit early, we're going to be able to get you that money, Um I would make sure that you, as a, as a parent and as a family, you make sure that you're talking directly with financial aid offices, especially in a Division three setting. Um, yeah. Not that I wouldn't trust that word. Uh, you know, I guarantee it. I would just want to make sure, and, and, and really all financial aid officers, in my experience, are great with dealing with families and different scenarios, and they'll really take the time to talk to you. It's just a matter of, you know, sometimes just picking up that phone and, and doing that little bit extra work just to make sure something can be able to wor- be worked out or something can't be able to work out or or what the timeline is for something potentially to be able to work out or not. Yeah. So that would yeah. Be advice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of the hour. And one of the things I want to touch on before <laughs> we hang up is... Um, When I was looking at your roster at Hamilton College, both the men's and the women's roster, one thing that really jumped out at me was the fact that on both teams, uh, out of both teams, almost all of the players are Americans. You have one international player on both teams. Uh, I'm curious, do you make an effort? And I know you're new to Hamilton. You, you just started this year, but is this part of the culture at your school to focus on recruiting Americans or is it it just work out that way?
1: Um, I think it kind of, Worked out that way Um, I think you're always trying to look for right right fit student-athletes and doesn't matter where they come from necessarily you're always trying to look for right fits and there's right fits that um, you know that could be available in France or there could be um, as we have here at Hamilton right fits that are you know that grew up 40 minutes away from school um, and some grew up on the other side of the country so it's trying to make sure that you're trying to get the right fit. Um, and on a Division three level, I think it's great that, um, you know, generally you check throughout the rosters of a lot of Division three institutions. They are primarily going to be um, from America. They might be, you know, a lot of the school might be, a lot of the players could be within a 40-mile radius of the institution. But you look at a lot of rosters, you um, and, and I was reading a great article about a school in the Midwest um, and how they're a very well-known regional school, but they're getting players from all over the country because the tennis program is very, very strong. It was a very great article to read. Um, so you're always looking for players, um, and you know it's always about the right fit. Um, and sometimes the right fit is the ones that are really um, right here at home. You have such great talent, uh, you have really high character students and student-athletes. And, um, and you know, as I always tell people, I, I think it's always great when you can come in and you have a really good head on your shoulders because I'm very confident my ability is to get you better at tennis. And if that's all I have to focus on, to getting you a little better at tennis, we're going to be able to do that. Um, but, you know, and even throughout a recruiting process here for the upcoming years, it looks like a lot of them are going to be from America as well as I know a lot of, um, peer institutions, it's also going to be the same thing, as well as a lot of uh, friends that I have in Division three coaching, and a lot of them are homegrown U.S. talent. Um, and You can definitely feel that pride when they're playing for the Division three national title, um, and you can go state by state and find top players from different states that are coming to one team. Uh, I think that's also something that is very good for American tennis on, on the Division three level is that you look at a lot of the rosters that are competing at the NCAA tournament, they're going to be homegrown talent, um, and I think that's something to be very, very uh, proud of, and and something that we should take a lot of pride in. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. Well, Matt, is there anything else that you want us to know before we end this little conversation?
1: Uh, you know, I just want to just thank all listeners, obviously, for you know taking the time to listen today about Division three uh, college tennis and Division three institutions. You know, I definitely am a big fan um, of of Lisa Stone and what she's doing with Parenting Aces, I think it's absolutely just an invaluable tool. Um, It's so valuable for um, parents, uh, junior coaches, um, and I even know a bunch of college coaches that really look towards, uh, you know, the site for guidance and pick up trends and kind of figure out how to be able to connect to parents and students throughout the recruiting process and what to expect when, you know, hopefully your child does play College tennis, so you know, just want to thank her for all the work she's doing because she's really making a big impact um, on not only the division one level, but also on the division three level as well.
0: I'm blushing. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> I appreciate it, and I mean it's been great chatting with you, and I, I hope that the listeners will start to really listen to this whole idea of division three as a great option for their junior players and uh, really start exploring some of these phenomenal programs that are out there and these phenomenal coaches like Matt Brazati at Hamilton college. And, um, you know, there's, there's more to life than division one. There's more to college tennis than division one. And it's time that we all start really giving the other divisions there there do. And uh I really appreciate you coming on and and helping to promote that whole idea, Matt. So thanks for your time.
1: Thank you as well.
0: And to my listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces Podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.